Never imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shop and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's so- It means something. You know, that's my take on it. Like, what's yours? Protonic Reversal! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, 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 indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It's a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. That's right. Uh, Friday night edition. The uh, Quarantimes, volume 14,000. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. This is a, uh, not last minute exactly, but this is a continuation episode uh, for an early episode in, in December with my guest, Mr. Greek Sonier of Jerhoff, we we managed to get up to, well, almost the 2010s. <laughs> and I say almost the 2010s because uh, we barely got into it. So we're going to... We're going to look at the last 10 years plus of Deerhoof, which it's amazing that when you have a band that has done that much stuff, is that prolific... Um, you know, that is that awesome that, that it follows their own compass, their own North Star, and has had a career of that uh, magnitude <laughs> that you can have someone on for a third time and still not touch all the records, which I, I think is a, a pretty fantastic person. If, if, if you ask me, I think that's that is a absolute uh, feature, not a bug. I'm pleased to have him. He's a hell of a awesome guy and uh, pleased to pleased to be chatting with them uh thanks everybody for all the recent shout outs for the shout outs sure uh for, for recent episodes uh and uh yeah let's just get to it let's talk to mr greg sonier here he is right freaking now greg sonier how you doing man how are you conan good 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 so just just, just since i but it's it's so great to talk to you man um you it's, too. thanks for for Spreading it out over three unintentionally, just because I'm <laughs> such a motor mouth over here. Well, you say it as if I had some like awesome grandmaster plan, and but uh, I pre- <laughs> and appreciate that. Right. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's I just felt like it was disingenuous to leave it at the last time that you know we had so much to talk about, and I and I loved it. But it's like, oh yeah, and then some other stuff happened in the last twelve years. It's like, okay. Well, <laughs> Yeah, right. We can probably do better than that. Come on. <laughs> so. Like, if, if you split our time into threes the way we have, this the one that we haven't gotten to yet is the longest one. It, it is, and it's interesting because I think there's a there's a focus for a lot of people on uh, those. I don't know if you call it the mid period records, but uh, you know, like mm-hmm. your your Apollo. Um, and, yeah. and, and like that that era that it's it's 
I don't know if time has just uh, perceptions of time have changed or what, but but you guys have th- there's so much to cover. It just it would be disingenuous not to talk specifically about that. But before we dive into that, I do want to say like you know, just like last time, we we're in a very changed world from last time you were on the show. That's uh, true. You, if you had anything to uh, talk to uh, that, I mean, I don't know. Any random know. summary? Yeah, exactly. Can, can you summarize the last I mean, three you know. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I almost think of it like my, uh, my friend Muindi has kind of introduced me to this word that I think is very meaningful to describe some of the calculations that are being made right now by powerful people. And that is necropolitics, you know, <laughs> sort of the, the politics uh, that in which you make decisions based on how many dead people you think you can get away with causing, you know, yeah. before you run into political trouble. Um, oh, man. Yeah, like that. You know, the, the most by, rotten kind of fight math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's that. So <laughs> it's like, well, 2000 in January, maybe we can get away with 1400 in March. And that stuff about minimum wage, maybe we'll drop that. You know, like what can you get away with, yeah. basically? Um, <laughs> and, and it's kind of like you're looking at some spreadsheet or something it's like, well, okay, we'll, we'll remove the Muslim ban on day one. Like, what is the fewest number of things that we can completely um, reverse on day one that will give us enough goodwill to last us another few months till we have to do something else, you know? Um, yeah, just that kind of like, <laughs> it's hard when you have a mandate and you've been empowered theoretically, or in the narrative, you've been empowered by millions of voters and dramatic voter turnout in Georgia, et cetera. But in reality, you've been empowered by a few rich donors. And so that's who you, like you'd love to please both, but it's kind of like the rich donors are number one, right. and then hopefully you can do the millions of voters as number two. Yeah. You know, oh, God. <laughs> it's so rotten, it's so rotten. Yeah, it feels it's it's already feeling rotten. Is is my is my summary? You know, and the Demo- you know just only the obvious, but just that the <laughs> Democrats now fully, you know, without blockage of any kind in the executive or. Um, legislative branches of our government are still finding reasons to make excuses that Republicans are somehow holding them back, which obviously isn't true, but they're pretending that bipartisanship is somehow more important than survival or something, you know, which. Yeah. uh, And and bipartisanship in a way that has this, this, this ideal that doesn't seem to exist outside of Aaron Sorkin penned fantasy you know where it's like why is that bipartisanship like like they don't they're they very clearly have said we don't want you to exist like why are you trying to compromise on that that we didn't want your votes counted yeah you know the base of your party we think is a um is a 
sub-race of humans. Um, yeah. So how, how do you meet, how do you meet, you know, Benito Mussolini halfway? How do you meet well, Adolf Hitler? He makes the trains run on time. And, you know, as a train person. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Classic. <yeah. laughs> I'm not aware that trains ran any more on time under Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Amtrak is a pretty mediocre. Like our trains are anything to to uh, write home about, you know. Yeah, that that, that yeah. was the that was the big the only reason I bring that up is because that was the big uh, Mussolini. Yeah, but he makes the yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> and I know you know, Greg. I'm talking for the listeners. Uh, <laughs> like, why is this dude talking about trains? Like, okay. Why are we talking about trains? Because you know, <laughs> let me tell you something. If I could retire today, and there was no pandemic, trains. Boy, do I love riding the train. <laughs> Looking out the window, watch the world go by. Deerhoof almost took. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had a show in St. Petersburg mm-hmm. and then a week later in Beijing. And we're like, we've got to do it, guys. Trans-Siberian Railroad. Yeah. We're going to do it. Yeah. The exact number of days. Train but tour. it turns yeah. out the train from St. Petersburg to Beijing only left on Saturday and Tuesday or something. Oh. And it didn't work out. So we were really mad. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Story, I, I mean, that's, I mean, and again, it's, it's interesting that the stories of how, you know, high speed rail and whatnot is totally doable yeah. and like a reality in these other countries exactly. rather than you know profit opportunities that uh, you know, never actually come to oh. pass i mean it would it would even be a profit opportunity if you added up all of the all of the effects that it would have but the problem is well it's just the obvious it would it would impact the car industry and the fossil fuel industry there's, there's people which making are, money which the are way too things important. are. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. you can never discount that, unfortunately. Well, at some point we're going to have to well, because yeah. you know <laughs> global global existence kind of depends on us finally, you know, but we're taking them down a couple notches in terms of priority on like the way that we build our quote unquote economy. You know? Does does ever right now those are pillars of our economy, right? Um, and treated as if they always were that way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's um, kind of I don't know. I have a lot of yeah. thoughts about that, but I was curious as to what your thoughts on that is, right? Like that it's. I think that um, fossil fuels did not become a huge thing, you know, upon. Europeans arriving on American shores, but it did, you know, once the Industrial Revolution occurred, um, then then that grew. And then once once the, um, you know, the mid-century, mid-20th century arrived, and, you know, some decision was made, okay, we're going to turn this into a car country, we're going to turn this into a freeway country. And so, (laughs) certainly from that point on, fossil fuel, um, you know, was, was considered, but, you know, became a make or break industry. So if that failed, our whole economy failed and, you know, it just ended up being, you know, not the greatest decision in hindsight because fossil fuels are finite, first of all, and second of all, that, you know, once, once they start running out, then you start panicking and starting wars to obtain access to, 
other reserves, you know, of oil, which end up being, you know, under under the country of Iraq or whatever, and uh, we end up starting more. So, um, which ends up, you know, costing in in many other ways. Um, you know, it would be, be a, it would be better to transition to basing the economy on <laughs> things that are sustainable. Another makes sense, un- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like- I mean, another unsustainable pillar of our economy, and maybe one that's even actually bigger than fossil fuels, is one that we all are very familiar with, which is called finance. So, any times there are loans, student loans, debts, penalties, you know, fees. Um, even the auto industry in America doesn't make money selling cars. They only make a profit in their finance department. So it's the, it's the you know, we've got a payment plan and the amount of interest and likely penalties involved in that payment plan when somebody first buys a car um, is what actually keeps the American auto industry alive. And, you know, when I say that's not sustainable, I think I'm just saying the obvious. It, it creates a bubble. So you're basically betting, you know, like it was in 2008, you're betting on people not being able to pay it back. <laughs> uh, you do predatory lending, basically, and you're, bet, you're hoping that they will, that they will default and, and owe enormous penalties and then that's how you make your profit that's is on how you their make your pen- money yeah exactly that's <laughs> no but i mean that's not just some like a few like mafia people yeah. like hiding shadow somewhere that is literally the main pillar of the american economy is fees penalties loans interest you know finance and you know and we see what happens we see how government prioritizes that um, as soon as something goes wrong in the finance industry, sure. they're the first thing, they're the first in line to receive a bailout. And that's because they're simply the most important human beings um, in, uh, in, in America, according to government. I mean, you could, say, you could say that the finance industry is actually a wing of the government. Uh, at this point, and because has been linked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, because their their success is essential. Yeah, they underwrite almost every politician's campaigns, and frankly, they write most of our policy because of the revolving door and the lobbying. It's 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 the people employed in the finance industry are the ones writing the laws that end up getting passed by the Congress, and so you know basically. You know, it's a fusion. It's a fusion of uh, of um, the the finance world and government. And I guess what I would say, as far as 2021, now that Democrats are in power, um, and there's no reason, there's no obstruction um, from changing course. And you look at it, and it's like, well, look who's still basically look who's still priority number one. And when you see that, you realize, okay, well, that's something that both both of our two parties have in common is that the finance industry are the most important human beings on the planet. Yeah, billionaires don't just have more money. Don't just have yeah, bipartisan executive. They don't just have more money. 
They don't just have more power, but they have more value as human beings. They're better human beings. Billionaires are. Um, they they are worth worth more in spiritual terms. Um, their life matters more than someone who um, whose income is less. And uh, that seems to be a bipartisan um, uh, philosophy. So you know, it's like. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's sad to watch, not only because of how evil that is, but it, but also because of how idiotic it is from an electoral point of view. Like, if Democrats, I mean, now's your chance, right? Yeah, <laughs> if you want to make time, yourself yeah. be the anti-Trump, you know, yeah, if you yeah. want to make yourself be the saviors of the population, finally, now that you got the chance, I mean, cancel student loan debt. You know, raise the minimum wage. You know, uh, <clears throat> pay the two thousand statehood. Check. You know, like let's let's write some wrongs. Yeah, here. exactly. DC statehood, Puerto Rico statehood, Guam statehood. I mean, yeah, totally. So it's interesting yeah. that we were, uh, you know, talking about the financial bailouts and things along those lines because uh, 2008, where we left it exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is right when we were uh, right where we left it last time, and that all was. Okay. Very much in the zeitgeist. I mean, there was, there was, uh, you know, uh, Obama kind of came in and was like, hey, if we don't, you know, do this right now, like the entire, the entire Western world is going to collapse because it's built on a house of cards, basically. Uh, And that's a inter Ed Rodriguez fan Maggie, which uh, (laughs) it's amazing that we barely got to even talk about Ed last time because he stayed kind of in the yeah, well, yeah, he just joined the band. One of the we rarely get any offers to, you know, or any requests for our music in advertisements. Mm-hmm. Very rarely, but one that we got, I remember soon after Ed joined, and it, you know, it was two thousand eight or possibly two thousand nine, as the finance and banking industry and insurance industries were trying to salvage their tarnished reputations in the eyes of the global population (laughs) they were trying to find like hip music to use in their commercials (laughs) i don't remember what bank it was you know bank of america like td waterhouse or you know one of these anyways was like trying to or maybe it was an insurance company actually i can't i think maybe it was insurance now that i think about it because it was lehman brothers was the big you know yeah, that they was were the, the big, master big. villain, you know, uh, in 2008. And it wasn't, they went out of business, but the... the um, that was a name some... everybody knew suddenly. Everybody knew that <laughs> yeah, name, exactly. Brothers. They had they to be the fall guy yeah. to keep the appearance of due diligence. Yeah, oh, yeah, all the bad guys have all been taken care of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, bad guys all got big bonuses that year, right? Go back to sleep, America. <laughs> But they they wanted to use a, a, a song, a, a, a Dirov song, at one of these companies. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Sort of exactly. rehab their rehab their tarnished <laughs> image. Exactly. However, we needed also to rehab our unbelievably tarnished image. You know, <laughs> I mean, once. Uh... <laughs> no, we never had any darn tarnished image, but. Uh... Oh yeah, thanks for clarifying. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Not till this interview comes out. Yeah, uh, just just so we're clear. You're getting yeah, exactly, all the dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was amazing when when uh, 
you know, Ed was living in his van, you know, in Oakland for like a year, literally living in his van, really? going to the bathroom at the YM or the YMCA, and yeah. and uh, he was playing an XBXRX, you know, Bay Area at that time, a Bay Area band. Yep. Um, he replaced Paul Costuros as the bass player in the band. Um, um, but the XRX did not pay enough uh, bills to for him to actually afford rent, so he was living in his van. And one day, you know, Satomi and John and I, you know, I think a, like a light bulb went off over all three of our heads at the same time. Or maybe it was that Ed was playing Flying Lutenbachers and stopped, and so he became available. Sure. That's my what it was. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know, John had been, I wouldn't say struggling, but, you know, because, I mean, he's hes a virtuoso on the guitar. and uh, But but we were having him play, you know, two guitar parts and one keyboard part and sometimes a bass part all at once. It's a lot to cover. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we'd been old friends with Ed. I mean, John had known him since, you know, probably 94, 95 in Minneapolis, and uh, they they were like two peas in a pod. I mean, they just have a way of musically communicating and understanding each other's even most bizarre and arcane and uncountable ideas. <laughs> they they always just seem to understand each other, and, and it was like uncanny rapport between these two nutcases, you know, and so it was like once Ed became available, we were like, we got to ask him to join. And, and he was just like in a heartbeat. It was like, yeah. And um, I just remember like, you know, like he, John and Ed had another band. They had a couple other bands. Um, <laughs> one was called Gorge Trio. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Started in Minneapolis. Um, and... <clears throat> The very first um, tour that Deerhoof ever did in Europe was opening for Gorge Trio. This was 2003. And, and actually, <laughs> so Ed was on that tour. So, and we were all in the same large van for the whole tour. You know, in a f February in Europe, you know, whatever. I mean, you know. At this point, everybody has experienced bad weather, you know, at, at some point, wherever they live. But, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, changing what language we were trying to speak, you know, every day. It was before any kind of Google Maps or anything, before cell phones. Um, we were getting lost every single day on this tour. I may have talked about it last time, but, the, but the funny thing is that was on the tour. <laughs> yeah. um, and... and um, because he was playing with Gorgeous. So we became very close friends. You know, when 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 people are riding a roller coaster together, right. you know, they bond. And so we were already totally bonded with Ed. And, and um, so it was just so easy, you know, he'd start coming over to our house or something and, you know, he'd bring his guitar, we'd just sit there and and just everything made sense. And, uh, you know, anytime we'd, we'd start in on... Uh, a uh, song we were writing, you know, he immediately, <laughs> uh, you know, he just started making up his own part that just seemed to fit perfectly. And I don't know, it was like, um, 
It, it was really like magic. magic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it seemed it seemed very natural from an outsider perspective. Again, because uh, you know, if nothing else, because they shared, the, they almost had like that uh, shared brain from playing so long, <laughs> yeah. like Gorge Trio and Colossomite and whatnot, that they knew how to how to complement each other and, and to contrast. But and, that, that I, at the same time, that does make it sound as though. And guys, I hope that you're not listening, but it it sounds in a way like what you're saying is these two people shared one. They had one brain between them. You know, no, kind of no, one... no, not yeah, not what I mean at all. No, okay, no, no, okay. At all. but just that they're they're, um, you know, I, I don't want to use, like a symbiosis. Uh, a symbiosis is kind of what I was thinking of, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's mm-hmm. it's was sort of like oh yeah cool that's awesome <laughs> like and it, it allowed for like a fan Maggie is like you know very much. Uh, cool kind of a mm. not that the other ones weren't but kind of like cool guitar record <laughs> like it, it, i think because we one of the funny things we did we, we, this one was recorded at a at an actual recording studio tiny telephone the tiny now telephone. Deep, tiny telephone yeah. and uh i don't remember why um may, maybe you know, Ian Polici maybe had free time. I don't know, remember why we were able to afford it. I think actually I do remember why. It was Third Eye Blind had booked Tiny Telephone for three months straight. And then a week before this three months straight was going to start, they canceled. They pulled out. So suddenly Tiny Telephone has a completely empty calendar. Right. And for reeking out, you know, what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to pay our rent. We've got zero clients. Yeah, yeah. And so they were offering a big discount. And so we're like, well, we'll take our discount. You yeah, know? yeah, of course. So did, it's like Ed had maybe two amps and two speakers. John had maybe three amps and two speakers. Tiny Telephone probably had like 10 amps. Yeah. And so for every song we did, we, we, we basically just piled up every amp and every speaker in in that that was available into a huge wall nice. and then and then just like almost riff by riff like which one sounds the best for this riff sure. you know sure. yeah, they would yeah, plug yeah. in they would plug into that one. And usually we could get like two or three going at once with some like Y cables or, or something or reamping, I forget. But, and um, it was like really fun. It was like a kind of weird math problem. We did it on the bass too. And where it'd be like, you know, okay, we, we plugged Ed's guitar into this tiny little, you know, single eight inch speaker um, combo. Um, like a Supro or something. Yeah. But then we were also running it through Dave Brokema's Nerd amp through a big speaker, but then just that one was also going through this pedal, but the Supro wasn't going through the pedal, you know, that had a, you know, oh, cool. some nice yeah, yeah. on it or something, you know, just whatever kind of guitar pedals or whatever. And so you get these are like really kind of complicated sounds, rich, you know, that that it wasn't just coming from one amp, but was coming from, you know, three different tones all mic'd differently and then blended together. You know, the kind of stuff you can do when you're in a, when you're in a studio, you know, that's basically like candy store, you know, which 
you know, we <laughs> isn't we can only simulate with plugins, you know, now that we're recording at home. Um, but you know, that was just like that's one of the really, you know, <laughs> one of the fun memories of doing that. The hard memory for me is like having been so used to recording ourselves right. um, that now that we were on the clock and a red light comes on when you're when it's time to record, I remember personally feeling like, wow, I am like blowing every take of every one of these songs. You know, we'd like play and I'm like, I don't know, that didn't feel too good. And then Ian would like come in on the talk back. Hey, oh, I thought it was pretty good. Why don't you guys come in for a playback, you know? Yeah, yeah, and then we'd yeah. go back and listen I'm just like ah, you know I, I kind of sped up in this part and my fill was sort of clunky in that part and I just remember having to do so many takes of, of a bunch of the songs because I was feeling self-conscious and I couldn't or I just you know whatever for whatever reason I was unable to relax I felt like the the um, the uh, like eyes were watching or like fidelity was revealing every flaw <laughs> <laughs> in what I might have been playing, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, in the end, um, the, the, since uh, since we mixed it ourselves in the end, I was able to erase all fidelity from the recording. <laughs> so then it was <laughs> Sorted that out. <laughs> well, and, and you did, there were some sort of, I, I don't want to, diminish them by saying fun but kind of fun things that happened around that record like i remember I nothing you, against i mean yeah. fun yeah fun shouldn't be an insult but you put up like a there's like yeah. sheet music for uh one of the songs oh yeah for fresh born yeah, that was so cool that was so like oh, you remember so we put out the we put out a, a sheet music version of the song not tabs not for guitar but just on on you know a treble clef and a bass clef yeah <laughs> not specifying instruments or anything and put it out before the song came out, before the album came out. Um, <laughs> no one had heard our version, and then and then our you know Kill Rock Stars, the label that we were on at the time, and had been on for many years, um, <laughs> created a website where people could yeah. send their versions, and it was like forty-two versions or something of people recording this song that like varied, you know so wildly just all over the place um you know we didn't say is it a loud song or a quiet song fast slow you know so the versions were just it was just bananas you know it was like um <laughs> i think that we were wanting to do like an experiment of whether our songs or at least that one song Actually, this is what it was, Conan. I I wrote most of that song. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Satomi wrote all of the lyrics, which I think are very beautiful and very funny and very charming um, about a you know a newly born animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wrote the music, and it was after listening. <laughs> to the Sergeant Peppers, and I hadn't heard it, you know, in many years. I mean, obviously, I, you know, it's not unusual for a musician to know every song on Sergeant Peppers backwards sure. and forwards, but, <laughs> but 
whatever reason, I had not heard it in a while. And I just pulled out my LP of it or whatever. Like, man, I haven't heard this in a while. Why not? And I like really sat down with headphones and just like listened to it straight through. And after, I think maybe I was thinking about like <laughs> when I'm 64, there's the, there's like that um, little transition before it goes back to maybe the third verse there's like boom 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 and and it was that boom 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 i was thinking of that and i was like boom 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 you know i was like i was kind of writing in that in this boom 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 i was i was thinking about when i'm 64 and various other songs on um on sergeant peppers and uh, so then the experiment with the sheet music, you know, the thing about the most Beatles songs, one of the reasons that they're so famous, perhaps, is that um, it's not just that the recordings sound spectacular. It's not just that it sounds like Piper at the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd, you know, recorded it at the same time in the same studio, or it's not just that it sounds like... I don't know, just that that's actually a good example because, because, you know, that also has a really psychedelic sound and it's really wild to listen to and super fun and really clever, sophisticated songwriting and head scratching lyrics and just everything about it, you know? Sure. But can you cover, how easy is it to cover some of those songs on right. Piper at the Gates of right. Dawn? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. or to. Yeah. To sing like Sid Barrett is incredibly difficult, you know, because he's so bizarre, so idiosyncratic. His voice is so much about his voice, you know. He's one of a kind. God threw away threw away the mold, you know. After, right. <laughs> after, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, but but those Beatles songs, it's like they're very easy to cover, you know. They're they're sort of like that's what gives them this sheen of universality is that they're so easy anybody with a guitar who knows a few chords can play a lot of the songs uh, you know a lot of the Beatles most famous songs right. um, and it you know have a very recognizable pretty satisfying version no drums no bass no no horn section you know um, it still works as no a song yeah tapes or what you know, no backwards guitar solos. It's just a song that works on acoustic guitar. And so basically, I think we were trying to do an experiment like, well, maybe Fresh Ford is that good. You know, like maybe maybe our songs are like that, too, that like anybody can cover them. And it doesn't matter how you cover them. It's still going to it's like some indestructible, you know, um, composition that's just going to stand withstand any version and still sound like fresh born <laughs> i don't know if the experiment was a success it, 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 uh the versions were like you know wildly different from each yeah, other and well, that's the fun I, of it anyway i mean as a listener it was fascinating because so many people just took different approaches to it and part of the reason as you mentioned is that there wasn't like almost an original version available to listen to yet so people had nothing to compare it to yeah Exactly, and, and that kind of made it more exciting because people, you know, some people took it in kind of crazier directions, and some people were more, you know, it was more conventional. And it was, uh, it just occurred to me that I never, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that before. Uh, and <laughs> you know, again, I'm 
the world, and of course, the world that you and I both you know, you know exist in, it tends to be most mm. mostly bands who write their own songs and so on and so on. But like from a world of like someone that's like a composer, you know, they would <laughs> yeah. sit there and write their sheet music, and they wouldn't even necessarily know what it mm. sounds like aloud. They had to hear it in their head almost. Well, exactly, yeah. And so to have that's like correct. this uh, this um, different types of interpretations you know, based with no context whatsoever uh, and with like modern technology or modern-ish technology. It was 2008, right? Uh, it it yeah. was great. It was it was like kind of like one of the coolest ways to sort of get someone ready to hear a record I think I've ever heard of because it was like, wow, I never would have even thought that would be possible. And like, were all the results yeah, it amazing? Was, it was ah, really fun. Know. But like, you know. <laughs> We've been lucky, you know. I think that, that, that like, like Kill Rockstars was very... Um, game, you know, to try funny business. So that that was like, that was really cool. And and uh, it, you know, it turned out in the end that then Beck picked up on the idea. And then I think maybe was it Blur picked up on the idea. There there, in 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 the maybe next five years or so, there were they more, both. Yeah. yeah, people putting out sheet music without putting out the recording, you know, and then just hoping that people would do covers. Pretty fun. Yeah, it's a it's a cool idea, and it's you know credit where credits due. Mm. Like that was the that was the first time I saw it personally. So you know, yeah. <laughs> Therefore, as as an ostrich, it didn't exist before I saw it. So exactly, that's right. <laughs> uh, I kind of want to. Uh, so uh, so first of all, awesome record. The the sequencing <laughs> is uh, broken up differently on the record on the vinyl than it is on the on the CD. Uh, well, there's there's even worse news um, that I I'm sorry to report to you, Conan. That is that the reissued LP uh-huh. and the Bandcamp version, you know, the the once the LPs ran out and uh, it was out of print, and then they decided to redo it. Right. And then actually, it was Polyvinyl was the one who took over the the repress of of Fen Maggie, <laughs> we changed the order again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why this is coming up. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of shameful. But it's you know, I don't know. Time passes. I mean, I hope it doesn't disrupt the listening experience for anyone too much. But it's like the the um, you know when you're first putting it out, you're you're trying to keep people's interest. You know, you're trying to, um, you, you want pe- people who've never heard you to listen to it. Right. And I mean, it's not like that isn't true now, but once the record is like, okay, it was a thing, it didn't bomb, you know, it wasn't a hated record, um, you know, then you're kind of like, well, now that I'm not worrying about keeping people's attention or I'm not worried about like trying to make a massive first impression with track yeah. one or yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. It's not like maybe there's another way to think about it that, as a more of a story, you know? And so I think, you know, we just put it in a different order that was more, that felt a little more like a story. Um, and so it was like, I think, I think it starts now with don't get born and then it's fresh born, you know? So it, it's sort of like this idea of like, <laughs> Call and response. You know, almost. someone yeah. in the room. Yeah. Uh, someone in the room being being told like, "Don't do it. Don't do it." You know, you're making a big mistake. And then, and then the next song's "Fresh Born." So then they're just born, and then it goes through a you know a whole story, 
um, you know, not not a literal story, but but it kind of feels a bit like a story that, you know, where things take various turns and, um, you know, sadness enters the picture at some point and, and, um, and uh, they're kind of ending with a sort of, um, yeah, a sort of, uh, I forget exactly what song we put last in the, in the, in the recent version, but, you know, um, so some of those songs are, you know, really, to strike me as really sad. I mean, Jagged Fruit, really, really sad song. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, you know, that may be hitting somewhere at the end, you know, where you're a kind of defeated, you know, feeling. Right. Right. <laughs> or a failed, a failed feeling, whatever. Well, and it's, Something like that. it's so it's, it's, you bring up an important point too. I mean, sequencing, when you're talking about making a record, you know, flow yeah. is, is often so important, but I think that the idea mm-hmm. of a record's flow has been disrupted by obviously, yeah, the, the modern construct of how people listen to music. And if you don't hook people in yeah. immediately, then like, forget it. So right. they're never going to listen to the rest mm-hmm. of it. So like that's, yeah. Yeah. You'll advance to the next track in the playlist or whatever, which services, yeah, but... you know, like Spotify absolutely <laughs> make yeah. even more pronounced. Yeah. Thank you. All but, true. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, well, and it just, it, it occurs to me that like, and, and as someone who very much likes listening to records and listening to the artist's intention yeah. of that record, that I think it's kind of a lost, yeah. not a lost art, but it's a, um, it's an art that doesn't get to, like, I always yeah, kind of wonder it, it, if it's, if it's the, exactly the way that artist <laughs> wants it to be, you know, these days I do anyway. I mean, I don't even necessarily, I mean, even, you know, Fen Maggie, I think about, okay, that record, like, what was the artist's intention? I mean, I can prove to you that I don't know what the artist's intention was because <laughs> we made three different track orders. We, it took years for me to figure out, like, oh, you know, maybe maybe this, this record is actually a story, and I didn't see it at the time. You know, we're scrambling to meet a deadline, and, you know, um, it's like, yeah, things look a little different, you know, in hindsight, and... Maybe it actually makes more sense. So I'm not sure I believe in the artist intention, but I do like, you know, whatever. I mean, an album is a is a thing. It's a cool thing. It's something that 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 um, I always loved. You know, as a fan of music, I always loved albums, and then I make them. Um, we, you know, we obviously we make separated tracks too, so people can shuffle our music, or it can one of our songs can end up in a playlist or whatever, and that's totally fine. But, um, yeah, I th- it's it's fun to try and make the music work also as an album, you know, as a piece, as a rounded experience, you know. Um, <laughs> there's a there's something satisfying about also looking at the bigger picture, you know. Sure. Uh, for, for people, for those, you know, it may be a shrinking amount, but for those people who... Um, have that kind of time, um, or you know, or patience, or whatever to, to, um, you know, to take it in as a whole record. Yeah, and then this idea of also like the, the songs like living on after they're recorded, and they maybe they don't tell you who they are immediately. You know, like, <laughs> you discover yeah. it later on, and that's okay too. Exactly. <laughs> So then, yeah, Ed, so Ed's Ed's in the fold. Ed's 
adding <laughs> everything that adds to the band, which is which is fantastic. And then uh, you you know it's a it's a couple years until you get uh, Deerhoof versus Evil, the tenth okay, yeah. record, right? I well, mean, I think it's a, a yeah, um, right, yeah, like Jesus. That's right. I couldn't remember the order. Deerhoof versus Evil. Yeah, I don't know what in the world we were trying to do on that. I think that maybe the biggest. <laughs> Influence, we, we you know, that one was not recorded at Tiny Telephone. That one was another one where we like, you know, rented a rehearsal studio for like a few months. Yeah. You know, just whatever in one of those like jam hotels, you know, where it's like band in the next room, whatever, you know. And we would just go in, you know, and, and um, you know, we had maybe John's computer or something and, and micro collected microphones and, and, um, <laughs> recorded everything in the practice space and um yeah and w i think at the time we were making it we knew um the first thing that happened was john knew he was going to be moving to albuquerque mm. and it was because his partner um was going to be doing got accepted to a phd there and so it's like oh wow you know massive change you know we've been a bay area band since 1994 it's 2010 maybe it's 2009 while we're making it but um and yeah i guess john's moving and then and then ed was like well yeah you know my partner actually always liked portland a little better <laughs> she moved down here to be with me but you know if we're not staying together i might move to portland and then um so basically the band split up into different cities at that point and we've never lived in the same city since that since uh, 2010 so while we were making the album we knew this was going to be the last chance that we had you know to be living in the same location and like meeting at a regular practice base like okay we meet three times a week you know whatever yeah, that kind to, of to stuff. write music and like everybody's got same. all their yeah gear. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> So it was very dear, you know, experience. Um, but like the, what I think maybe the main influence on it was maybe one of the first things we did uh, in that while we were renting that room was did, did not end up on the album. It was for a compilation uh, put out by Crammed Discs, this label from Brussels, Belgium, that... that uh, they they do the Congotronics series and they you know putting out Kanono number one and various other bands and they wanted to do a tribute compilation where people were doing remixes or covers or whatever um, of anything any of the songs from the Congotronics series. <laughs> so okay. the first thing we did was actually a cover of a group called Kasai All Stars from Kinshasa in Congo and, um, and, uh, you know, the, the song is performed in the original, mostly on thumb pianos, um, you know, these distorted thumb pianos, um, you know, kalimbas or whatever. Um, and, <laughs> uh, I just remember one of the first things that we did was just sitting there for hours <laughs> john like plugged into his amp you know trying to figure out how can he make yeah. his guitar sound like yeah. those thumb pianos on the original and we just like it was really fun like 
you know, we were like putting weird stuff to buzz in his strings and he was using 12 string. He'd like roll the tone back, but then like find some way to get a whole bunch of treble, like roll the tone off on his guitar so that you wouldn't hear the guitar pick kind of sound. But, but then you still wanted lots of treble in the distortion sound. So, you know, it was just like a million pedals and trying to figure out all this stuff. And it was really fun. So that was a song that ended up being called um, Travel Broadens the Mind. And it ended up on that compilation. Um, and it was a cover. You know, they, they <laughs> the label ended up getting, requesting a English translation of the original lyrics for our benefit so that we could sing it. And it's <laughs> actually, awesome. I think maybe the only instance um, of four-part harmony, vocal harmony, in all of Deerhoof is on that cover. And me, Satomi, John, and Ed all sang in four-part harmony. We were like a barbershop quartet right, yeah, <laughs> singing yeah, four-part right. harmony on that cover. And it's just like, I still think that's one of the... One of my favorite songs that we ever recorded was that cover of that song. And then, yeah, I don't know. Then after that, it's like we had that in our mind. And like we started on a song called Super Duper Rescue Heads pretty soon after that. And, uh, you know, we ended up kind of using the same sound. Like I played a sort of similar drum beat on it. And John was still using his weird like imitation kalimba 12 string, you know, guitar sound. Yeah. Um, it's like arpeggios and stuff. And um, I don't know. And then it just went from there. And, and uh, I don't know. It, it was like, <laughs> uh, it was a good, good memory of, of, uh, of recording that together. And that was sort of the, the dawning of like social media uh, as we kind of currently know it around that time. Oh, too. yeah. That's true. I think I was starting to mess with our MySpace page. I was figuring out the ways that you could, like, you know, what every every band had figured out how to hack their MySpace right, page. Right, right, to so customize it, make, like, <laughs> dancing bears appear or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. Yeah. We did do a thing. I remember when when we were rolling out the record, you know, in maybe the month or two before it actually came out, we we premiered every single song on the record before it came out, each on a different music website I remember around that. the yeah. globe, you know? And so like we've, and some of them were, you know, it was like, a, you know, Consequence of Sound, I can't remember, Stereo Gum, some, you know, it was one of the bigger ones, Pitchfork, something, one of the famous ones. And then other ones were like total obscurities that had been kind to us in the past, yeah. you know, from Korea or from Taiwan or from, from New Zealand or something. And, and, uh, you know, that was kind of a neat idea, actually. I like, I we definitely enjoyed that. Well, and I like that when you did that, it wasn't just the big boys. It wasn't just the ones everyone knew. It, it was like, yeah. like, wait, where is it yeah. premiering? You know, <laughs> okay, what, what is this <laughs> exactly. site all about? And yeah, it was, it was kind of a way to, to sort of, yeah, to, to, to acknowledge and, and, uh, <laughs> show gratitude to, um, supporters, you know, to be part of an ecosystem. As much as else, you know, like, <laughs> well, if we must call it an ecosystem, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the internet. <laughs> so, and that's uh, so around that time, too. And mm -hmm. uh, then it was uh, like ATP put it out in the UK too, right? If I remember correctly, like they were. Yep. Uh, 
Actually, it was ATP that first put us in contact with the artist who designed the cover art. Um, you know, um, we had done a, a double seven inch that's kind of hard to find now. I think it was limited, a double seven inch record on ATP records. Um, <laughs> um, and I think one of the four sides actually was one of the covers of Fresh Born that someone else had done that okay. we ended up becoming friends with. But anyways, the person who designed the cover of this double seven inch, we just thought this is the coolest, you know, we just love this artwork. And can we collaborate with him again? Um, so we hired him to, to do the art with us on the on Dear Hope Versus Evil. And that was definitely a connection that wouldn't have been made without ATP. Around that time, we played, um, you know, the people who ran ATP were uh, Barry Hogan and uh, Deborah Key Higgins. And they got married in Melbourne some, around that time, 2010 or so. And we played their wedding. We were their wedding band. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> with like all their grandparents there and everything. It's a pretty wild experience. <laughs> yeah, was that, was that a... Was that was that fun? Was it stressful? Like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. So fun. Yeah. Kidding? I mean, so fun. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's not something Are every they... band can say, and especially a band that kind of <laughs> is, not, right. is not like a band formed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, after uh, Deerhoof, uh, Deerhoof V Evil, if you will. Uh, we, we, had yeah. a, we had Breakup Song, which came out um, about a year later, right? Something along those lines. <laughs> no idea. Uh, that, that, but, that, uh, that sounds about it. was like, it was, I remember Obama's uh, first, it was near the end of Obama's first term. Is how I, is how I remember it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Wow, you have an amazing memory for this. Not for anything uh, useful, though. That's the thing. I, only <laughs> only <yeah>. this stuff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's useful for this show. Don't get me wrong. Wait, but... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this is the important stuff. This is the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the answer yeah. man for this kind of thing. So that's that's. that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, eleventh um, uh, record. Um, yeah, a breakup song was like. Uh, um, at that point, we were all split up um and that was part of you know living in different areas yeah. among the double meanings of of uh, breakup song was you know <laughs> you know we were now a band that was you know kind of you know recording remotely and and writing remotely you know which is obviously something that a lot of bands are experiencing this year um but that's that became the norm for us then and we were you know sending emails to each other all the time um, and a lot of stuff, I mean, I remember one thing I remember, like the very first track is called breakup songs. And I remember John pretty much sent <laughs> like, I, you know, a kind of done sounding version yeah. of the song by email at one point. And what it was, was like, <laughs> like, 
when we had been recording Dear Hope Versus Evil, there's a lot of stuff like this on our albums where like we had been recording Dear Hope Versus Evil and, you know, he had the computer rolling, you know, whatever, and it was recording and I was like maybe testing drums or something and, and I was just playing different drum beats and he went back <laughs> and found some of the drum beats that oh, I had wow. played cool. we never used and that was one and he just made up a guitar part to match the drum beat that I was playing and that ended up being that song, the first song on, on that record. Um, and of course, I didn't remember playing it or anything. And he sends this thing, he's like, you know, it's like so heavy and so cool. Yeah. I was just like, wow, this is awesome. And um, I remember a lot of, I was living, <laughs> I was I was subletting, um, I was subletting a guy's apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, Gabe Andrusi's, what, what's that band? that he was in, um, I'm embarrassing myself. They were kind of one of those disco punk bands oh, uh, uh, from no. New York. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, You're the go-to guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who is it? Um, fuck, 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 fuck. Mm -hmm. um, hold on, I, I, I know this, I know this. Uh, uh, it's like, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it. I'm gonna think of it like as I go to Rapture. sleep tonight. The Rapture. Rapture, thank you. I was gonna say, I, I was gonna start singing uh, Out of the Races onto the Tracks, because I, I, I love that EP. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I, and I, I, God, that came up. That I thought about that band earlier this week even, but like it was just real missing Weird. in my mind that that name was coming. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I actually was not at all familiar with their music. So, so it was a, it was a strange, it was a friend of a friend connection that had, it was totally not a musical connection, which was why it was funny. Um, but he was leaving on tour with the Rapture for like months um, around that time and he needed somebody to sublet his apartment. So I was in his apartment. And of course, you know, it's like on the third story, you know, I mean, it, in brownstone, I couldn't make noise in there, so how am I going to record drums? And so a lot of the drums on Breakup Song were, you know, a recently purchased, you know, Roland, you know, like practice electronic oh, kit sure. that didn't make noise. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> That's what I was using for almost all of it. Um, and, you know, I'd go in there and just try it, you know, you go into this Roland brain and try to tinker with the sounds anything I could think of to try and make it sound more realistic, but it was like, it never did. And, uh, so, you know, part of that, I just, you know, whatever, we just sort of embraced a, you know, a slightly artificial drum sound on, on a lot of the songs on that record, or I just, you know, back to the stuff where I was like pasting in samples again, you know, like, right. you know, <laughs> I think that would make it even less real, but you know, somehow like if you if you pasted in the sample of a real snare drum going along with the Roland snare drum then somehow it you know you could fudge it a little bit and it, it just sounds like it's <laughs> but weird I just remember on, yeah. on the on the my laptop you know um it it ended up being really very computery you know, the, 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 so much of that record was happening in the computer. Yeah. We were emailing files. I remember a song called Bad Kids to the Front. I mean, right. John had made a demo at one point on a guitar, um, you know, that sounded like it could be like a normal 
song for a rock band to play. And I was like, yeah, I like the chord progression. It's really interesting, but something about it sounds kind of blah. And, and at this point, we were nearly done with the record, and we were maybe about to go on tour or something, and we were at Ed's house in Portland rehearsing. And just maybe throwing on a few final overdubs on stuff. And I remember sitting there at one point <laughs> telling John this about this song that he that he'd written and didn't have a title at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was mixing some of the breakup song stuff on my laptop on one couch, the one that I was sleeping on yeah. in Ed's living room. And John was on the next couch on his laptop. And about an hour or two passed where we're both sitting there working um, on headphones. And he's like, okay, listen to this. Right. <laughs> and it was bad piece to the front. It was done. I mean, it didn't have the vocals on it yet. It didn't have a title. But like this, he had in that two hours, like the drums were there, all the boop, 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 all yeah, this stuff. I'm like, John, how in the world did you do this? Like, this is completely blowing my mind, you know? I could, it was, it sounded like, you know, I it didn't exactly sound like a rock band playing, but I was like, well, I don't need to do any drums. I mean, this is perfect, you know, <laughs> like, uh, this is fine. Um, you know, and a lot of our, our songs are like that. It's not always me on drums. It's sometimes like that is sort of program drums or, or other people playing the drums. And, uh, um, you know, what was really funny was trying to learn that song later <laughs> as a band. We do play it on the guitars. The guitar parts were so difficult. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, that was a funny thing. In the end, we, the four of us, would we were doing the final mix in shifts <laughs> in oh, wow. Gabe Andrews' okay. apartment, you know, um, and I would go for about twelve hours or something, while you know, on the laptop with everybody listening and speakers and stuff and. And um, then, you know, it'd be like three in the morning and I'd be like, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm so tired. And then John would take the hot seat, you know, and I'd go like lie down. But of course I couldn't sleep. He's still playing it through the speakers and I would sort of <laughs> yell over the bed. I'd be like, oh, I think that compression is too much on the vocal. <laughs> Not able sure. to screen or anything. And just this basically a marathon you know, of trying to like sequence it. And at three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning, one of those, you know, maybe it lasted for two or three days. Um, one of those nights that Tommy, who had moved to Greenpoint at that point, um, um, she, she was living in London for a while, but but by the end of breakup song, she was living in New York. So she was walking back to her apartment to go to sleep at like four or five in the morning and saw this totally insane looking um, garbage truck, you know, because that, that's the time of morning when they're when yeah, they're they going around. Business, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, I got to snap this thing. And she she took a picture of it and that's what's the cover, you know? And <laughs> that's the cover. Nice. It's sort of like sleep deprived, you know, trippy mental state that we were in. With all the lights we and everything. Yeah. Kind of totally. started to imagine the whole, whole record as this weird, like party bus or, you know, some weird, like 
underground jukebox, you know, inside of some like moving, you know, flashy, you know, I don't know, just some imaginary image came into all of our minds and, and it, it ended up changing how we mixed it. We were trying to make it sound like the whole record was coming out of some little box yeah. or something. Um, and that it had this, you know, all electronic and kind of like dance quality to it or something. And so I don't know. Yeah, that's how that one sort of came together. What what what, uh, what country is it where they have the um, where, where they have the buses and they're all trying to outdo each other? And so some of them like play the music and they you know kind of make it like a party. Yeah, is it? Uh, yeah, Colombia maybe. I, I'm trying to think of what it is. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I feel like I've heard of that. Yeah, I saw a thing on it like forever ago, like some news news report, and I was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" But it's interesting that like the way it came together is because there was since there was uh, all these people competing for people's business for a ride. Exactly. Yeah. They had to, <laughs> they had to get their attention somehow, and so some of them started playing music, and uh, right. <laughs> and then they would like. Just... I mean, the idea of you know obviously custom car stuff yeah. is you know is not limited just to that. Or nor to to garbage trucks or whatever. I mean, it's just a <laughs> it's a kind of you know it's a way to it's a non-mainstream way to to kind of turn even a you know if 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 you've been relegated to a to the working class that you can still. Um, you know, even without the stamp of approval of the of mainstream society, you're you're still engaging in art and yeah. and decoration and 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 sort of celebration fun. I don't know that whole idea really inspired us. <laughs> still does. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, we still think it. back to that. You know, um, we we the the name we came up with for that for that imaginary machine was the Jingletron, you know, so that it plays little jingles. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and we were trying to write music that sounded like jingles. It's like commercials for nothing, you know. It was like, you know, the jingle is like the ultimate capitalist um, <laughs> musical form, you know. Exactly what you just described with the, that competition is like, who can sell more? Well, it's whoever comes up with the catchier melody. But then you can, you know, we were sort of imagining subverting the idea of the jingle um, to to sell nothing, or maybe just sell deer hoof, but you know, <laughs> right, but, right, but, but sell, um, you know, to sell feelings, you know, to sell. I mean, I think what it, you know, what we were trying to do was was like at that time. I remember, you know, certain maybe Bon Iver was starting to get big, or you know, maybe it was Fleet Foxes, or you know, kind of like. <laughs> really somber, melancholy, yeah. you know, like, oh, I recorded this this album, you know, in a cabin in the woods after a really horrible breakup. And, you know, I think we kind of wanted to contribute something to that, to that conversation about breakup music where in which it's like, well, actually, <laughs> if you're going through a breakup, one thing that's often helpful is like actually some happy music, you know, yeah, or some, some yeah. dance. Music that where you channel those feelings into into growth or you know I don't know just something positive trying to not just wallow in yeah exactly pity, you know so it was like a yeah growth not just uh, <laughs> yeah not just wallowing like you're, like you're saying it's um 
So it's uh, yeah, what what about we do parties? That's a pretty cool tune on that. Record. Yeah, well, that's the that's the one where that one was definitely. I mean, I I actually still have a video. I think somewhere um, that maybe my friend took or something while I was recording the drums for that on that Roland, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, recording the drum beat, you know, and it's like a video of me just in Gabe's kitchen. Um, just hitting these plastic pads. It doesn't make any sound. It's just like, you know, it's like nothing. It doesn't sound anything yeah, like drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the take, you know, it's a video of the take of that drum beat. Um, and um, yeah, it was like pieced together. I think I was, I was trying to write, I, the parts that I wrote, I intended it to sound like Judas Priest. It was, it was trying to be like metal. You know, it's like trying to write some like, you know, up-tempo, whatever. Um, and then John wrote some of the parts. And I don't know, we just kind of, I don't know, put them all together. A lot, it was, there was a lot of file sharing between me and John. And it'd be like, okay, I like this part, but can you send me the bass part? I'm going to put a different plug in on the bass part, and I'll send it back to you, and then you mix that in. You know, a lot of this kind of stuff. Way too much time in front of the computer, you know. It's like our, <laughs> our nervous systems are forever damaged, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we do parties. That's the, that's the song that has the line about the the spick, the jingletron, you know. Right, we right. thought it would be funny. Right. Um, you have that fun video where you guys are going around and doing like karaoke and you got the glow sticks and all that. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. We did that in Japan. Yeah, after the record was done. Um, and of course, you know, the, the our friend in Japan who made the video, I mean, like he totally got it, you know, the, the concept of like the blinking lights. And, you know, there's this one neighborhood in Tokyo that's that's kind of an electronics city like where if anytime you need electronics you got to buy some headphones or you got to buy a, a, a um, you know a, a flashing you know light for your for your to <laughs> like dance party or, yeah, yeah. or like or a tv set or whatever there's this one neighborhood uh, that where all the stores are you know and they, they're all um, um clustered there in this uh, um in that one part and um and so yeah we shot the <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good Shot one. video there. It, well, and it suits the song, Maxim. too, which is, which is, you know. There's one funny thing. That, that, that video, a lot of it takes place in a karaoke box. And we needed something to listen to in the karaoke box. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, as we're shooting it, we needed something to be on the screen and some, some music for us to be listening to so that we could sing our song we could mime the words to our song along with whatever the actual song that was coming out of the karaoke machine yeah. and we picked rock and roll by led zeppelin you know <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's in the exact same tempo and it's yeah, yeah, really yeah. funny so i always think of that like actually every time we played the song um yeah i can see it yeah totally <laughs> i'm playing the drum beat actually you it, i'm not really on the record but yeah. when we play it live i'm I'm playing the drum beat from, you know, the John Bonham yeah. Um, yeah. drum beat that Led Zeppelin song, which is, you know, it sounds just like a regular rock beat, you know, two and four on the snare. But Sean Lennon, um, who um, uh, he and I had become friends and bandmates around that time in, when I was living in New York, um, <laughs> uh, he passed down to me that some 
somebody had taught him that like, no, that's not actually what's going on on that drum beat. And Sean Lennon sat down at my drums and showed me, this is how you can play it. And it's like the, you've got your right arm on the hi-hat, which is just like open and making a crashing sound through the whole thing. Yeah. So your left hand right, is on the snare drum and your right foot is on the bass drum. And it's, all three of them are going the entire song. So none of them not playing any eighth note. It's just which one accents more. So that's all it is. So so all three limbs are just pounding jackhammer through the whole song, but then different limbs get a different, you know, this one you play a little bit louder on the snare on the two and four, or you hit the bass drum a little louder on something. Yeah, it's a really cool beat and, you know, very <laughs> physically tiring, and but also fun to play, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's actually, that might be my favorite song to play in any Deerhoof set, you know, because um, I just, I love playing that John Bonham beat. <laughs> well, and it just goes to show how much that guy is kind of misunderstood as a drummer, too, where it's sort of like, it seems, it seems simple, but right. it's such a interesting part, yeah, kind of, it's a musical part, you know. Right. So then, what came after that? So that was. What did uh, we do after breakup? Yeah, yeah. So after that one is the beautiful island. That's uh, ah <laughs> uh, yes, La Isla Bonita. The, that one we recorded entirely. There was a a guy called Nick Sylvester who um used to write for Pitchfork and wrote Deerhoof reviews, and who had stopped becoming a music writer and became a full. Time musician and producer and label owner so it was like he'd switched to the other side and we met each other like at at a uh you know farmer's market or something in brooklyn and i was like i hadn't seen him in years and we were catching up and (laughs) he was like as a music journalist i mean he had really interesting things to say like oh now that i see it from the band and the label and the producer's point of view it's like I realize how hard it is and, and how like a music journalist doesn't always fully appreciate the struggles involved to make something sound good, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so he was like, you know, we were talking, talking, and he was like, you know, I would really like to try and produce um, a Deerhoof record. So we made this whole plan and that we were going to um, make a record with Nick Sylvester as our producer. And we were all looking really forward to it. We went to, we all convened at Ed's house again in in Portland, where he has a basement, you know, um, where we set up our instruments and we could rehearse in there. You know, he had all the moving blankets and everything, tried to soundproof it. And um, we were basically writing and arranging the songs and learning how to play them in preparation for the recording session. But... (laughs) as often happens uh, with this band, it's like, you know, we were recording our rehearsals and then starting to get attached to the rehearsal yeah, version. Yeah, because you like the way it's You know, some sure. thing happened in the, in the rough version. And of course, we're all blasting, you know, in this tiny room. So there's no separation. It's nothing like a recording studio. Every microphone is bleeding into the other microphone. And and, uh, you know, the, the, the snare drum mic is mostly John's guitar. You know, it's just a huge mess. Um, but yet, <laughs> we're like, yeah, but this sounds pretty cool, you know? So um, 
you know, we, we started, like, I remember it was the same thing. I was sitting on Ed's couch. I, there's something magic about Ed's, this one couch of Ed's, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, I remember the three of them were watching a movie about ramen on Ed's TV while I had the headphones on and I was mixing some stuff that we had just recorded that day. And by the end of the movie, I was like, here, listen to this. <laughs> and everybody's like, this actually sounds kind of good, you know? We, maybe we should just keep this. And um, so then we had to tell Nick, like, sorry, <laughs> we're canceling the whole plan. What we ended up doing was just recording vocals um, at his practice space. Uh, in Williamsburg and so Satomi and I you know went over there and did that with him which you know of course made us regret not doing the whole thing with him because he was so wonderful and had so many good ideas and I don't know he just it's like when everything is DIY you just you only push yourselves or push each other in the habit ways and he would push us he asked us to do stuff that no one had ever asked us to do before and, and um I don't know. That was that was really that was doing those vocals there at the end once the mixes were basically done of the instruments was like, you know, I don't know, it was a really beautiful experience. And then and then uh um Ed's partner Lainey came up with a lot of the song titles very close to the end. And she she was the one who suggested La Isla Bonita as as one of the song titles. We were right. we were desperate for for titles at that point, and we all just thought that was the funniest thing. Um, and the more we thought about it, we realized this is this is perfect. You know, it just matches. <laughs> like, you know, the record is is like kind of describing a disillusioned, you know. American like dystopia or something like we everybody was so filled with hope when Obama came into office and and by this we were like you know just felt really disappointed really betrayed and and um, you know so many promises um, maybe not even promises but you know false hopes where we realized not I don't mean we in the band I mean you know much of the population realized that they had been filling in the blanks with their own imagination. Right. So if a person makes good speeches, but they're sufficiently vague, you can, you could sort of like, well, I think he means this and therefore I think this is going to happen. <laughs> right. And then you're like, well, it was, I was dreaming, you know? Um, and so, yeah, the, the record is kind of like that about <laughs> the beautiful Island, you know, it's like that it was meant to be, um, you know, the United States, I guess. And, um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's, you know, and, and that concept that you're talking about of, of it's just so palpable, right? It, it's, just, I just remember being like, even <laughs> falling victim to it myself, even with someone that, you know, is kind of a right. prides himself on critical thinking. I'm like, Oh no, I'm sure that, you know, they'll, they'll wise up and realize that they don't want to work in good faith on this. And I was like, Oh, well maybe right. they won't. Maybe, Oh, maybe they just like doing this stuff. Maybe they <laughs> yeah. like these drone strikes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That blows. Yeah. But... The, uh, the, the song that was maybe the most direct about that on the record was, um, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Is it the last song? There's one on there called Oh Bummer. And yeah. Satomi came up with the title. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually never even asked her if she was using Oh Bummer as a, as a pun on Obama. But yeah. the, the song is written 
I sing it. She's the drummer on it. She plays drums on that song. And, and every time we played it live, it was the same thing. She, she, we'd switch, and I played bass and, and sang into her microphone. And I sang it from the point of view. I was trying to write a song from the point of view of Barack Obama talking to Michelle Obama. And so that's why it starts with Ma Bell. That's the, the first lyric in it. Yeah, okay. um, Because sure. I was thinking yeah. of that song, Michelle, you know, the Beatles song. And um, so he's like addressing her and and just basically apologizing for being a liar, you know, and uh, killing so many people. <laughs> so it's like a pretty dark song. Ed wrote all the music on that. And it was just like he'd written this this music that was just so dark and haunting. And it was just like, you know, we didn't know and kind of huge, you know, really big guitar, really dissonant and and. Uh, it just sounded so, so beautiful and and sad that that uh, I don't know. So that's just somehow how it came together. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 wild to think about that those were the, those were our problems at the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my god. I mean, not to sound dire. I'm just saying that you know, <laughs> it seemed like a it seemed like a pretty big deal at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure. So then, yeah. So so then, uh, a couple years, and then, then and then we got uh, the magic. So that's uh, oh, the magic. Yeah. Twenty sixteen. <laughs> One funny thing about the magic was uh, was <laughs> a, a like a totally like blanket call across the music industry went out <laughs> one day. Um, Martin Scorsese is producing a new cable series called Vinyl that's supposed to be about a 70s rock band that runs into drug trouble and stuff like that. And we need a theme song for the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just a a wide net call to any musician or any band that wanted to try and say, and it's like, and we need it by Monday. And this went out like Friday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and again, all of us living in different cities, all receiving this email. And it's like, well, obviously Deerhoof's not going to manage to get together and write and record an entire song by Monday. But then secretly in my mind, I'm like, but I bet I could write one. And I like to play the guitars. And so for the next two days, I sat down and I'm like, I'm going to nail this thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to write something like glam rock, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, something some appropriate for that show. Yeah. yeah. For what? Yeah, sure. Exactly. And, and by the time Monday morning rolled around, I'm like so hot on my song. I'm like, I just wrote the best song ever and uh, I'm really into it. And I, <laughs> I sent it to my bandmates. I'm like, guys, I actually went ahead and tried to write a song. And as soon as I sent the email, I got an email back from John. And John's like, actually, I did too. And then we got one back from Ed and he said, you know what, I did too. And so all three of us wrote theme songs for vinyl. And of course, all of them rejected, you know, for the show. But then they all ended up being on the record. And that's how we started the record. So my song was Plastic thrills and john's was dispossessor and ed's was um that ain't no life to me and you know basically those songs are almost as originally recorded like plastic thrills is you know i play all the guitars and like um and um 
and uh, Dispossessor, it's like John sings the whole song, and and uh, and that ain't no life to me. Uh, Ed uh, sings it, and you know, recorded all the drums and all the instruments and everything. And <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know that that uh, that's kind of how that one started. That's a pretty awesome beginning to record. I mean, like, it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, and then there's uh... listening a lot to, um, um, and I don't remember why. I think I actually did. okay. This is what happened, Conan. We were on tour in Europe, and our driver. When we drive in the U.S. John almost always drives in the minivan. We rent a minivan and it's totally silent. Nobody wants to hear any music. Right. <laughs> and like Ed's usually sleeping in the back, you know, with headphones on or something. So it's like but the whole ride every single day. I mean, weeks of tour, dead silent the whole day. Um, we never turn the stereo on. But when we're in Europe, that we have to hire amps and drums yeah. and there's a guy a friend of ours called Jakob um, from Czech Republic um, who always drives us and he and we rent his gear and <laughs> he always plays music in the car and he just plays whatever he wants and one day he played Fear of a Black Planet oh, uh, by yeah. Public Enemy yeah. and we happened to all be awake at the time that it was happening and I don't remember, but maybe we were like, I don't know, we were getting on each other's nerves. Maybe tour had been long at that point, and and um, maybe we were feeling frustrated uh, with, uh, sorry, I'm about to sneeze, um, with the set list or how each other was playing, or, oh, you keep playing a wrong note in this one song, you know, whatever it was whatever that fans talked about. I don't even remember what it is anymore because <laughs> it's been so long. Um, but... Uh, but we all just like I don't know we just all sat up and, and listened when 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 that album came on we all remembered it of course and just you know welcome to the terror dome and and uh, fight the power and stuff it's just like really intense uh, you know um, <laughs> um, emotional experiences in this record and and so that was another thing that happened we in addition to thinking about doing this sort of glam rock thing we were also looking for I think we were interested in what what is it about public enemy in that era and the bomb squad and the production you know um you know what is it the shockley brothers or whatever you know yeah that, that what made it sound so hard you know like the snare drum was just like the most obnoxious <laughs> just <laughs> right. everything so kind of rough and and kind of lo-fi and and uh but just sounded so gritty and and um just gave it this i don't know this very earnest or authentic kind of feeling or also a, a historical feeling because it's all created from not all but there's so much it's so rich in samples you know yeah um so like the drum sounds are coming from you know classic uh, soul jazz records or or funk records or whatever and um and just the layering, you know, the really dissonant clashing layering. So it's like, you know, they put 
this Bob Marley song at the same time as this Prince song and stuff, and they were to- in totally different keys and just let it just clash with each other right, and be yeah, so like to- <laughs> and abrasive and aggro sounding. And uh, so I think we were also thinking a lot about that record and that aesthetic um, when we were we were making. And there's a there's a few songs like Debut is definitely one the, where it's you know um, a kind of it started off as a, um, a, a kind of um, <laughs> You know, tribute to that sound, or if not a tribute, at least a, a an attempt to understand what in the world they were doing to try and get those those uh, I don't know to, to to sound like that. We ended up recording it. You know, once we had kind of made some demos, and you know, we'd done those like vinyl songs. Um, we ended up meeting this time in Albuquerque, where John lives, um, and he rented out like this weird like office. <laughs> office space in this like mostly abandoned office building on the edge of town. It's really weird. Got a really good deal on it. Borrowed a ton of microphones and we just set up in this office. It was so weird. We were in there for like two weeks in an office. If you there's a video on YouTube of of the song debut and you it's nothing but photos that Ed took on his camera from while we were recording there. So you can see us like in that like carpeted room, like yeah, John's yeah. there at the desk. Where the cubicles would <laughs> the be, cubicle, you know, be. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just recorded ourselves in there and it was really, really fun. It was, it was fun. So fun to be back together, playing together. I don't know um, where, where the Ila Bonita was recorded kind of by accident. We were just recording our rehearsals. This time we, took some more care, you know, and like, let's get a really good, you know, whatever drum take and then let's overdub the guitar and well, whatever, you know, we just, it was less of an accident. You know, we were more intentional about trying to get certain sounds and specific sounds. So maybe there's more variety on the record. Um, (laughs) I've, I, uh, yeah, I feel like that one is, I don't know, one of my, one of my favorite, Maybe Dear Hoof Records. It's a good one. And, and I haven't funny heard it in a while, so I, I, that might be a lie, you know, if I heard it again. Maybe <laughs> well, I'm going to listen to those songs now with that in mind, uh, with that uh, Martin Scorsese, which I think they went with, yeah. with a Sturgill Simpson song, if I remember correctly. Uh, for, Wait, what's that? For that uh, that Martin Scorsese show, the... Uh, Oh really? I never heard what they finally did, nor did I ever see the show. I, I watched about I, this sounds terrible, but I watched about ten minutes of it and was immediately bored. <laughs> and that's not, I sound like such a jerk when I say that, but I, I just it wasn't for me. It's like not to me. I mean, what you're telling me is that you know at least the first two minutes of those ten minutes could have been a lot more exciting if they used my yeah. song. You know, I, I wanted it to be something it wasn't. Is the best way that I can put it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And maybe that's a problem with me, but uh, it wasn't for me. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't for it. What did we do after the magic? Well, before we talk Meanwhile, about that, you know, I, I, I mean, what we're skipping, what we're skipping, of course, is like there's a bunch of the stuff. other ninety percent of Deerhoof's existence, which was just us touring all the time. You know, it's like the albums were these little dots, you know, in the middle of a you know a, a sea of of nonstop touring, and uh, yeah, it's pretty yeah. radical to me to to think back to the fact that that it's been over a year. I mean, our last show was in Montreal in January 2020. Um, uh, and that's the last time we were in the same room, you know. And uh, just, I mean, we talk every week on Skype and we're emailing constantly, texting all the time. 
Um, we just finished a new record, you know, a week ago. Well, that's fantastic. Um, and we're, you know, we're in constant contact and constantly working and, and caught up in each other's lives, but we have not been, I mean, like everybody. It's just very strange because of what a cold turkey thing it was because, <laughs> you know, it was. it's like constant, you know. I mean, they really are my family. Um, yeah. I've logged more hours with with the three of them than I have with, with anybody, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And uh, so it, it, it is strange. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was talking to somebody the other day. I met somebody's uh, grandmother the other day, my friend's grandmother. And I was like, oh, so, you know, she, she lives here in Tucson, too. I'm like, oh, where do you live? Oh, on this side of town. And how do you like your place? And she's like, well, you know, it's an apartment. It feels a little like a hotel. You know, you walk out the doors. You've got the carpets and stuff. And I'm like... Let me tell you something. I miss being in hotels. You know, yeah, yeah, hotel exactly. feels like home to me. You know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's been so long. You know, like I used. To, oh, you know, that's just what I was so used to. You know, whatever. My uh, little sob story. No, no, but that's but that's something that you know I talk to a lot of folks, and that it, obviously it's going to yeah. come up, and it's a huge part <laughs> of life for a lot of folks that's gone. This is like missing. Yeah. It's like missing like a limb that's gone. Just missing, yeah. And, uh, I mean, and, and I think about it. And at the merch table. I mean, just right. how much of my life is lived at the merch table? I mean, I'm missing that too. It's just like interacting with, with um, strangers, mostly strangers. You know, having discussions. Um, yeah, and just yeah. I mean, it's like I mean, my bandmates always get mad at me on when I take a shift at the merch table. The line always starts to because <laughs> <laughs> you're talking. Anybody who listens to this podcast will obviously immediately agree that uh, you know. <laughs> I have a tendency to, you know, start talking a lot. So then the, the line gets longer at the merch table, and then then one of my bandmates has to come over and like <laughs> assist, take over. You know, right, right, right. that's uh, what do we do after the magic? That's fine. Well, before before we talk about that, I, I want to mention I'm a lifetime oh. claymation fan, and I love the video. Oh the man, first song. that video on. Uh, the devil and his surrealistic so cool. anarchistic retinue or whatever it's yeah. called. That is just an amazing piece of work. Um, I love it yes, so much. I, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, we have done a lot of animated videos, uh, or, or I, sh I shouldn't say that we did them, we had them done. And so, you know, we have rarely appeared in our own videos. And so there's always this moment and it was intense with that one where we received the finished product not having the slightest idea what in the world they were doing in their laboratory for the last month or two yeah. you know and then you receive it in just the shock you know of seeing your song set to a movie that you you had literally no expectations and that one was just like so jaw-dropping i mean because animation as a form is so painting so much work goes into it and you can see the love you know in right. every frame when it's yeah. stop motion you know and uh this one was <laughs> it just seemed like they completely grasped the the meaning of the song and, and uh the vibration of the music and everything and the fast pace and yeah <laughs> like I, think, I think all the way back to um you know it's not exactly the same thing but like when i first saw like frosty the snowman and being like whoa why does it look yeah, like right, that exactly <laughs> right <laughs> what it looks so cool why does that look like that and i just didn't understand it and then um yeah well exactly that's the magic yeah jason and the argonauts there you go that's the magic there you go that's 
That is the magic. <laughs> Precisely. So then, next up is mountain moves, which of course happens in the uh, the, the post the post forty five experience. Yeah, I think a big part of the sound on that record was having been at a few marches in yeah. New York and what drums sound like when they're bouncing off of tall buildings oh, you know cool. and yeah, that was yeah. like a big part of a big part of um you know the drum sound i'm not sure it was necessarily successful but i, I was at least for the songs that i wrote for that record i was very much thinking of trying to write drum beats that a parade that parade drummers would play and write melodies that you could chant you know, and it, even even the lyrics are used like kind of meant to be slogans or something like that you would actually chant, um, you know, in the middle of a march. Um, and I, I was so it was like imaginary protest music, you, you know, um, but not protest record. But but like the record was meant to <laughs> suggest things that you could actually sing at the protest you know? yeah yeah totally. and then somehow we hit on this idea of like doing duets and, and and getting various friends um you know women singers to to do duets with satomi on the all over the record and you know all of our different favorite singers some of whom you know were you know, higher profile than us, and some of whom were rather obscure. One of whom was very obscure at the time. She was a uh, little-known rapper called Aquafina. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, which is <laughs> like, weird. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Was, but yeah. she came over to my house to record her rap for that song, and then we went out to dinner afterwards. And she was telling us. The story, yeah, I just recorded, I just filmed some movie, it's called Crazy Rich Agents, it's maybe going to be out like next year or something. Right. It, it was a long shoot, kind of grueling, I don't know, you know, if it's going to be any good. And it's like, yeah, a year later she was like yeah. a star, it's and then okay. she was in Ocean Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Well, and that it's was a, like the last obscure thing she did, and, and uh, our song. She was in that, you know, they, they, those new Jumanji movies, which I like. I think, I think, I think they're very. Oh, cool. I didn't see. She had, she has a she has a great role in um, in the second one of those, uh, which is quite good right because on. the I mean the conceit of it is that uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> this is, I'm going to waste time talking about the Jumanji movies, but I think it's interesting. No, that, let's, like, let's have it. That they, they're in these characters are in the video game, and the, and these these older characters uh. get. Uh, um, like the the grandpa and the grandpa's ex-business partner gets put into as well so aquafina is danny devito's character so she does like her danny devito oh, okay. and it's fantastic like because she does a great she does a really good job of it and it's like he's just kind of like oh, ah, kind of like this guy over here yeah, you know? yeah. like, <laughs> it's very good i think those movies are very fun they're not high art you danny know what i mean devito like, saw Deerhoof once oh um, really he was side stage at coachella that's we awesome. played. It was Chris Cohen's last show, 2007, and uh, I think Chris Cohen's mom was a school teacher and taught Danny DeVito's son or oh, something, wow. and so how cool. told him he should go see Deerhoof at Coachella. <laughs> 
ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, awesome. so we're like walking on stage, like about to go on super nervous in this giant tent in front of zillions of people. Yeah. And like one of the biggest shows we'd ever played at that point. And uh, I'm walking on stage and there's Danny DeVito. And I'm like, I walk on stage to play and I'm like, I have to walk back down. You know, I like, I like <laughs> took the stage and then like left the stage because I had to go say hi. Yeah, how are you not? Um, yeah. <laughs> his most recent movie at the time was, um, is it a Death to Smoochie? Oh, which yeah. Which is a Edward. Yeah, with Edward uh, Norton and uh, Catherine uh, Keener. Yeah. And it's about a musician, a children's musician. And I loved this movie. And I just had to tell him. Ed Norton was also actually, weirdly, a childhood friend of mine. Uh, we went to high school together. And um, so, uh, you know, I had to tell him, like, oh, I know Ed Norton. And, and I really loved, you know, what you did with that movie. He was, DeVito was the director. And, um, you know, I still think that's a really incredible movie. Yeah, Robin and, Williams and, uh, is in it. Catherine Keener. It's a, there's a lot of, exactly. uh, a lot of great yeah. people in it. I, I, I have not seen that in years, but I think I actually used to have the VHS yeah. of that. Uh, <laughs> I want the VHS. If I find it, I'll send it to you. <laughs> it's a good movie. Well, did you send me a player as well? well and I was going to say, I don't own a VCR anymore, exactly. <laughs> I, don't even own a, I don't even have a screen to play it through if I did have a VCR. Uh, I'll buy totally you one of those screen. TVs that has the VCR attached to it that's like in an RV and stuff like that. And <laughs> that's what Greg needs, yeah. Just so you can watch Death um, the Smoochie on VHS. That'd <laughs> be worth it. It would totally. Um, you know what? Stranger things have happened. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that mountain moves, like one of the main memories that I have of mountain moves. I mean, I have a lot of memories, but um, like the the we ended up coming. We chose a font for the album cover, where you know we found some cool font that we thought looked cool. Um, <laughs> where the M... It kind of looks like mountains. Actually, it wasn't the M. It was the W, and we turned the W upside down oh, for cool. the M, where okay. it looks like two mountains. Yeah. And that, that, that if you sing the melody of that M, it's like... And so that's the melody of mountain moves. And I never asked Satomi, was, like, was that on purpose? Because it's absolutely a perfect... Like if you were to draw that melody, she's drawing that M of, of mountain moves. And, you know, there's two M's for the, you know, and that there's many, many instances of, the, of that shape happening in the, in the lyrics and the artwork and the, and the melodies and, and the whatever, you know. Um, there's even a weird noise at the end of, um, <laughs> maybe it's at the end of Mountain Moves. I can't remember what song it is, but <laughs> John... Some like academic website that his partner, you know, who who was still doing her PhD, you know, back from Deer versus Evil days, um, mm -hmm. in linguistics, and some weird website where you could go to where where <laughs> it was a picture of a, of a like a cross section of a human human head, and it showed like the tongue. And like, you know, the glottal stop and like the Adam's yeah. apple going up and down. And you could like with the mouse, like change the the pitch and change the the vowel oh, sounds. Oh, wow. cool. To try and make human voice sounds. It was the most ridiculous. And we were, John sat there for like three hours. We were trying to get him 
he was trying to make it say the word mountain moves and he just couldn't do it and so what we did we just recorded like hours of him trying to do this and whatever noise that's yeah, 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 yeah. at the end of this song is his is his you know the closest he ever came to making this this website say mountain moves by dragging the that's kind of oh. awesome though i mean it's it's there's something yeah. to be said for uh you know, an, 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 a labor of love, which I can only be construed as uh, such as that. <laughs> um, everything we do, you know, yeah. obviously, it's just for the heck of it, you know, totally. That's well, awesome. dang, what album do we do after Mountain Moon? So then, that's a uh, uh, future future teenage cave artist is the which is okay. So so yeah, we're up to last year. Last year, yeah. this one this one weirdly we had already recorded totally remotely. Um, you know, it was a weird, like, premonition of lockdown. Um, oh, yeah, because you recorded it before lockdown. We only met to record one song, which was Zazit, and that one we recorded actually, you know, not even at the same time, but at least we were all present. The rest of it was, like, the most random, I mean anybody could be playing any instrument on any of those songs and you know like the it was completely patched together like i recorded a bunch of drum beats and i i was just trying to brainstorm you know beats it wasn't meant to again it wasn't meant to be the final thing so yeah <laughs> uh, the easiest way that i could think of to record them quickly on my laptop was in a photo booth, um, you know, just make videos in photo booth. So I just <laughs> sending where it all shows these videos you like the weird, like the image from where it looks like Andy yeah, Warhol and then, pictures and stuff like that. The, that photo booth <laughs> you're talking about? No, not that photo booth. Oh, just okay. the the program on the laptop that, oh, okay. that, where you could shoot videos, and it's just the laptop microphone. So much, a lot of the drums on the record is just the laptop microphone and I, I sent, I would email the beats. I would email an MP3, you know, I'd email like five beats to my bandmates as MP3s. Yeah. They would record some guitar part of over it, make an MP3 mix of that, send that back. Then I'd add something else or what, you know, it was like this. And it was like piled up. It was MP3s of MP3s of MP3s. I mean, the fidelity was so destroyed by that point. Except that sometimes then somebody would do a really nice overdub or, you know, record or I'd record a drum beat, um, you know, with all the microphones set up or something. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I was just telling a friend yesterday, actually, um, <laughs> we, we were playing this this bass that was used a lot on future teenage cave artists. Um, uh, which is a bass that has rubber strings that, that we bought in the middle of a tour at one point. Yeah, rubber strings and uh, uh, um, piezo pickups. And it was really tiny, and, and Satomi thought, like, and it was cheap at some some used place. And it's like, oh, I should get it. You know, it's so small. Like, like it might be easier to jump around on stage if I'm holding this than instead of some big thing. And... Um, <laughs> She ended up using it for one show, and then and then I ended up with it because I didn't have a bass. So like I had this really weird rubber string bass, and it has a battery. The piezo pickup requires power. So, and 
I was like, why does this thing sound so terrible when I hit the low note? <laughs> I didn't realize it was because the battery had been in there for two years. The battery yeah. was dying. And so I was playing that through an amp, and then I would point the laptop at the amp. And so it was the laptop speaker recording this dying bass through an amp, through the laptop speaker. And so some of the bass on this stuff is like... I mean, it doesn't really sound like a bass. I mean, it just sounds like a weird noise in the background that you can barely hear. Um, but some, actually, sometimes it makes loud. I mean, that's kind of my memory of making that. Is like <laughs> everything was in fragments, you know. Um, John would write a guitar part that went over one of these drum beats that I wrote, and then Ed would write a totally different guitar part that went over the same drum beat, and then they'd both send it to me, and I, and I'd try to like. Sort of piece together uh, yeah. um, a song, you know, um, and uh, <laughs> Satomi was writing stuff on a on some program on her phone, you know, that like you know wasn't even using any real drums or guitars, and we were trying to figure out ways to integrate that, you know. So it really ended up being like <laughs> it's it's funny how the 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 process of physically recording it and the audio of it and 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 all of the mistakes that we made and the accidents the funny accidents that happened ended up kind of creating the theme yeah yeah and the, the, the theme ended up being this kind of like dystopic you know like post not dystopic but post-apocalyptic like everything is broken archaeological kind of like well things are just sort of broken pieces and and um you know we're living in caves again um you know, the, uh, uh, society has broken down. The power grid is unstable. If there is one, um, it's hard to find food. It's hard to find water. And and um, and the, that image of like this blazing hot sun. You know that 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 the earth was just scorched at this point. Um, you know, in the somewhat near future, <laughs> particularly if we don't, uh, yeah. of course, it's like, yeah, it was it was like trying to imagine what that might feel like. And that ended up being kind of what the record was about. Yeah, which is pretty heavy. It's, it's, it's fascinating that that was because, when uh, you know, a lot of times on the show, the actions of sort of remote based creativity, like writing music yeah, from exactly. long perspectives comes up and, and that honestly that came up before pandemic but you know obviously with pandemic yeah. being what it is it's it's everybody's thing <laughs> but that's the weird thing is it was released during the pandemic right. when the pandemic had just started <laughs> right um yeah so i think it officially came out in may you know last year and and but the first single maybe came out in february or march and we were still like wow i wonder if we're going to be able to tour on this and like by the time it came out it's like obviously not but it is crazy because it was almost like day by day like facts were different i'm sort of like oh well okay now hmm all right is it what's happening here like it's just there was no agreed upon set of facts yep and it's uh (laughs) sorry everybody knows that they don't need me saying that but it's yeah (laughs) newsflash yeah no i mean it, it was weird it was it was a pretty dark place to be i think um you know like making the record like i i i i feel like a lot of dear hoof records the process was not like that i that that was one where i really felt (laughs) when it was done that i was 
and of course, I didn't know, none of us knew what was about to arrive in the real world, but at least in the imaginary space that the music occupied, um, it was like, I'm happy to leave this place. I don't want to spend any more months. I've been going with this for months, you know, kind of like in this imaginary future um, post-apocalyptic environment. And, and um, <laughs> I'm sort of happy this record is done because it just felt like a, a bit of a, you don't want to get into a position where you're, and, and, and this, this was very much, obviously, we all know, a, a feature of the Trump um, administration years of, of where we almost the doom scrolling you know the, the almost the attachment to the to the darkness and to the and almost getting off on how evil it was or how horrible the prognosis was or you know having something to to um, to complain about on social media or whatever it was like you know a, a very um, yeah, whatever. Just a just a dark place that was very easy to to fall into for everyone. I mean, mentally. I mean, obviously, people were falling into dark places uh, in physically and in, and in terms of basic survival. You know, when you're talking about pandemics or you're talking about you know trans rights being destroyed or you're talking about uh, uh, you know more extraction of wealth from the working class up to the billionaire class or you know if you're talking about um racism or or, or uh, bigotry against muslims or you know all the features uh, that that were so pronounced in those years it's like um uh you know it was both a physically unsafe environment but for many um but also a, yeah just a mental in four years straight, you just kind of like weirdly get used to it, and you just like, you just <laughs> you want to get out of that mental zone. You somehow, don't want to live there know? for forever. Yeah, live forever. I mean, you're just poisoning yourself with with uh, getting the rush of anger every day. You know, starting to 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 feed off of anger, feed off of uh, the, the adrenaline of 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 negative emotions but but emotions that if they take over become a kind of toxin or kind of poison in your body you know um an addictive toxin at that too in some cases exactly that's what i'm saying thank you for understanding yeah um it's 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 very heavy it's and it's it's a heavy record uh but but i think it it accomplishes a lot and i think it's you know there's a lot of kind of cool moments like i'm thinking into uh uh the, da the damaged eyes um yeah yeah damaged eyes yada 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 that one uh <laughs> I, I can't remember the title i'm sorry <laughs> yeah like, like it's it's like totally stark squinting, and crazy. yeah damaged eyes squinting into the beautiful over hot sun perfect yeah, that, that that's the one uh it kind of ends yeah. with that john wrote that one for the most part uh, it, it's got like that uh bach 
that that kind of like uh, uh, oh yeah the last track at the end yeah, yeah so it's so kind yeah, of like, I practiced that I practiced that on my roommate's um, upright for three months trying to learn how to play that that also was recorded I just had the laptop sitting on top of the piano you know he had this really <laughs> he needed some WD forty or something the, the, <laughs> the pedals were really squeaky at that point sure and uh, so the recording is like so noisy but I thought that it was nice it kind of added to it. Um, I worked so hard to play that. Like that was like my big like piano debut. <laughs> 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 you know, playing this Bach piece. But, um, yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a cool record. I mean, it's it's. it's Thank uh, you. It was not. It was not our most enjoyable record no, to make. I'm sure uh, not. Yeah. Because we were apart, and you know, I think there was. I don't want to say that it was inevitable because it wasn't, and I consider it mostly my fault, but there, there, <laughs> without a lot of conscious effort to resist it, there can be a dynamic that takes over in a group of people, particularly when they're not face-to-face, -face <laughs> where some people might end up kind of putting in more or... Yeah end up controlling more and I think that that record was too heavily weighted on me I played too many of the instruments or I wrote too much of the music I mean it's still everybody but I feel like I ended up being more I, I it's like that one was more me and I, and I think we all kind of had a little bit of a <laughs> um, I don't know a, a feeling of dissatisfaction not exactly with the music but but with the the band morale and the band process um okay. you know we felt like it had broken down or, or disintegrated uh, it by being apart um and and we had to work really hard the the one we just finished which will be our next one which will come out this year i feel so differently about and so good about because exactly the opposite like we yeah. we yeah. confronted this and and my bandmates you know confronted me about this this power dynamic or about this sort of unfair <laughs> distribution of of um of voice you know um and 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 we worked really hard to be very strict on this one to to make sure that everyone's voice was included in a in a equal way. Um, I mean, you can't get mathematical about it, but you know where everyone felt that they their contribution was absolutely essential and huge, sure. and that sure. everybody played like you know the, the guitars are John and Ed, the the bass is Satomi, the drums are me. You know, like we were really strict about it, and um, and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like we just finished it. We don't even have a title for it yet. We're still figuring it out. But that's awesome. um, that's awesome. like, I think this one, this one is is something. I uh, what we felt like we had to do after the, you know, cave artists, you know, kind of. Because uh, yeah, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, maybe this one's heavy in a different way. Maybe heavy metal or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You'll see. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Love Lore, too, because, I mean, was, was that like okay, almost a yes, reaction to this? this in between. Yeah, we did yeah. do a free, we put up a free album, uh, digital only, um, in the fall last year, where 
it's all covers. Yeah, it's like and, Gary Newman uh, and like Rainbow Connection and like uh, there's all kinds of stuff yeah, on yeah. there. And it's a awesome. lot of avant-garde classical covers. The the time period that was covered was was the 50s uh, to the 90s. No, the 50s to the 80s. Um, and it was we we basically wrote um, you know this gigantic medley of covers. I mean, just fragments totally. of all these yeah. different pieces and different styles for a festival, a kind of a new music festival, which was very weird and unexpected you know for an indie rock band to be playing you know it was like a classical avant-garde classical festival why are we get on this you know well you guys have to do that don't go up there and play your regular set so we spent months i mean months writing a piece that we would play once <laughs> at this festival i mean we rehearsed this thing for, yeah i mean you can't imagine it was like a lot of labor and talk about yeah. labor of love i mean yeah. we had so much fun doing it and actually, that was our kind of first, like, collaborative uh, emergence from this sort of cave artists, you know, thing that that had a bit of an unhappy, um, you know, whiff to it. Um, but he had, like, and Stockhausen this, and the like, Beach Boys sitting next to each other, exactly, you know? Exactly, you know. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> we, just, we were all, like, contributing, like, suggesting, well, let's do this one, and let's, like, try to learn a Derek Bailey improvisation note for note and treat it as though it were a composition yeah. and play it, and then do it with the Jetsons. And it was, like, all this music that was about um, the space age and about progress and about how the future was going to be something so great, you know, all these promises of of uh of uh you know that era of capitalism when and and uh exploration and manufacturing and and uh you know we were solving society's problems and hunger was going to be eradicated and poverty and disease and you know <laughs> and technology was going to come to our aid and and uh you know we were going to be living in you know bubbles uh, you know floating above the earth and you know space stations you know whatever um, you know, kind of the Star Trek dream, and and uh, you know, so for this festival, we're like we had done so much work <laughs> to do this piece, and we're like literally like, you know, a few days out from the final show, just like rehearsing every day at some rented practice space in New York. The the festival is in New York, and um, and uh, at some point we're like, guys. We, are we really just going to do this once and then throw it in the dumpster? I mean, could be, <laughs> it's a you lot know, of work. Yeah. And find a place where we could record this. We had one day off between the festival show that night. We had one day off, and then the next day we flew to Europe for a long tour. <laughs> so that was going to be our one rest day. And and so we're like, John, can you book us a? And John had a friend who had a, a you know a, a tiny recording studio that happened to have an, have an open day that day, the Rivington Studios in Manhattan. And, um, and so we went in there the next day and we were so tired from, uh, from all the rehearsal. Ed yeah, came, Ed, yeah. you know, like came in like a zombie, you know, after the previous night's show um, with this, the worst migraine he's ever had in his life, sat right in front of the drums, like totally bashing away. He's got this horrible migraine you know all of it and um and uh and then we went on tour and we didn't have the files you know for like months and it, we kind of forgot about it and then suddenly john like received the files one day um 
and like we were so excited when we heard it again and then we like spent a long time mixing it but we realized we couldn't do it as a real release with on a record or anything because the copyright thing would be a nightmare so we yeah. said okay we just put it up free, digital only you know and so um we were really really um that one was was so fun you know well the way it all fit um, together and i think that made yeah feel together again, and, and it was time to you know to, to be a band again, and that's that's what set us in the right direction. The, another thing about that one was that it was all live, you know, it was yeah. 100% live. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I mean, like, even most of the vocals were done live, which was hard to mix because it was nothing but cymbals in the vocal mic, but, but um, you know, totally live, no overdubs on that record. So, so you know, I think that made us say, you know, we, we really want to do that again. Um, for for the next one, and although we did not meet at all, and I have not seen them, that's what we're simulating on this upcoming record. Is, nice. is the sound of nice. the four playing together? Yeah. Well, and that's that's <laughs> the, the only other record I can think of that's even remotely like it is, uh, you know, I don't know if you're a Residence fan at all, but like the Third Reich and Roll, where they had the. Um, uh, yeah, God, it's been so long. I don't even remember what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just in, in like not even exactly, but just in the way of like putting things together uh, <laughs> that you wouldn't imagine would be together. And, yeah, totally. And, and like they, a mashup. Yeah, uh, exactly. Medley. Exactly. It's like, yeah. it's like a mashup before there were mashups. Totally. And, and yeah, and, exactly. Um, <laughs> which I think is a fantastic record, but it's like a heady listen. It's kind of, cause it's sort of, you know, and, and I, I, I adore the residents and I, I say that with all you know peace and love in my heart, but uh, it, it, it is kind <laughs> of like the, the one, you know, Love Lords, it's pretty joyous sounding, even the more kind of like exactly. joyous sounding music, maybe. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. It's, uh, and I like, mean, it and was really fun to play. It was, it was really interesting. It was, it was such a nice surprise. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's, I would not have expected that. And especially because it kind of seemed to come <laughs> at a time that you needed a nice surprise in, in right. life. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> totally. Thank you. Thank you. So, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to. Yeah. I, I didn't want to not talk about that. I, I, I wanted to. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. To... Thank you for bringing it up. I mean, thank you for again for everything. I can't believe your patience. You know. I no, mean, this we, is great. This man. is. If you add it together, it's like six hours. You know, of like, uh, you know, just nonsense. Well, <laughs> storytelling. No, no, it's not you nonsense know? at all. I mean, like, it's it's for some bands. This, this doesn't work. I appreciate you know? your interest. But I th thank I think you so. much. Yeah. You guys are so thoughtful and have done uh, so much stuff that I, you know, I got there's so much good feedback off the last episode. Um, <laughs> you know, you, well, you realize, of course, it's not going to be fair unless you now go through and do the same three episode series with Satomi <laughs> and then with John. Right. And then, sure. And then, you know, one with Rob, one with uh, Chris, and one with Ed. Let, let's, I mean, uh, it's just you know. not going to there as you do that so we're not no um, i look forward to listening to those i was gonna say like touring's probably not gonna be happening anytime soon so i got the time <laughs> yeah yeah we got lots of time <laughs> to reminisce <laughs> i gotta go eat dinner yeah yeah i was just gonna say uh, greg thank you so much man this has been a blast uh, yeah thank you i really appreciate it Conan. it's great to chat and, and uh, i look forward to uh to hearing it <laughs> yeah and let's uh you know let, let's i'm excited to yeah, hear what you guys do next you know like this is uh, right on it's a good time a good time okay we'll have episode four when the time comes absolutely <laughs> anytime open your right. mind, my friend thank you all right my brother take all right, care. good luck stay safe and talk to you soon all right bye take care there he goes mr greg son here what a cool guy that guy's awesome 
Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Oh, let's listen to some deer hoof.
Plastic Thrills. That's right. That was written for the TV show Vinyl by Martin Scorsese, which would have been pretty freaking awesome and, and cool. Uh, before that, we do parties off of the excellent, <clears throat> excellent record. Uh, what's the name of that record? <laughs> Hold on a second. That's a oh breakup songs. Yeah, yeah, break, uh, that's and then breakup songs before that. Uh, it's a breakup song is the record. Breakup songs is the song. That, that always gets me. Uh, hey, I'd like to thank my guest, Greg Sonia, for coming back in and laying it down. Love hearing about that band. Endlessly creative, always interesting. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. It's Tony, John, Ed, Chris, all you guys. More deer up, more deer up the better. Uh, name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. The show airs on Radio Nope. Usually Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Signing off. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. Protonicreversal.com for the archives. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you want early episodes of the show, early access to episodes of the show. I've got 50,000 watts of one dollar a month patreon.com slash platonic reversal will help make that happen and you help support the show sharing the episodes around reviews all that stuff you know helps people find it so thank you for those that are doing that and it's always appreciated thanks for listening this microphone turns sound into electricity and as always stay safe out there can you hear me now and take it easy out on Route 128, you're dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my
Got my radio. 